dedicated by Mushka Lightstone. This is in honor of her father's Yurtzeit, which is tonight, Avram Ber Ben Mordechai. May his Hashem have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. I think his Yurtzeit is today, the Gimelel. And may he channel lots of brachas to you, Mushka, all that you need and all that you want. Much light, much bracha, and happiness, and only, only good things. And a great new year coming to you, and your family, and only, only amazing good things. Thank you so much. Um, another dedication tonight was by Rachel Malkin. This is in honor of my grandson, whose bris is going to be tomorrow. So that's really nice, Rachel. Thank you for the dedication on tonight's class um, for baby Zirkind. Tomorrow he's going to get his name. At this point, he's still just the baby. May Hashem bless him that he should, first of all, we should bring him into the chuppah, into the chuppah yet, into the bris tomorrow. And from there he should grow the Torah and his parents, my son-in-law and my daughter should raise him in good health. Um, and the only, only good should be nachas and brachas for, the, for everyone. Thank you for that dedication. All right, now we go. Um, this week's parsha is parsha shoftim. So, in the parsha, we start as a special commandment. The beginning of the parsha. The commandment of the beginning of the parsha is shoftim v'shotrim, judges and judges and officers. As the parsha opens up with a mitzvah to appoint judges and officers. Bechol shayrech on all your cities. It's a mitzvah to appoint courts. Um, Non-Jews also have the mitzvah. It's actually one of the seven Noahide laws. It's one of the seven Noahide laws to appoint courts across 
across the world, every city, every place. But for the Jewish people, it's an additional mitzvah, that it has to be in every city. We have to have a court, a beisdin, and they should judge the people um, righteously. That's the mitzvah. Now, when we, we know that today's days, even though we do have the establishment of a Jewish beisdin, but the Jewish beisdin today is very, very minimal, very, very limited. And compared to the power that the Beisdin had when they had true, uh, complete, you know, authority. So today it's very limited authority. They had much greater authority when we had our own sovereignty living in our own land and so on and so forth. And we know that when Mashiach will come, we will reinstate the judicial system, the Torah judicial system which is based basically on a hierarchy of courts. You start off with a small basin of three judges, and then later you have the larger basin of 23 judges, and only they have the power, only they have the, uh, the um, we call it the, uh, the, the, the rights, uh, I forgot the word I wanted to use, uh, to be able to um, judge any case of capital punishment, and then all the way up, you have the great Sanhedrin that would sit in the Beis Amigdash in the Lishka Sargazes in the room of, of, of cut stone and that special room is where the great Sanhedrin sat of 70, 70 judges with the head of the basin, 71 judges and they were the highest court, like the Supreme Court now we today's days as we said, most of this court system has been um, kind of fell apart and we don't even have the idea of true smicha. In order to be a, a, a judge, you have to have smicha. And smicha was that you were, um, you were um, given the, the authority to, to, um, to be a judge by a um, handed down from someone who received it from someone who received it with a direct unbroken chain, direct to Moshe Rabbeinu. And that lineage of smicha we don't have today anymore because you can only issue smicha in Eretz Yisrael. And when the Jewish people were exiled from the land of Israel and so on and so forth, the, the smicha chain broke. And, uh, it's, and therefore, this, again, our, our, our judicial system is a very compromised system. But we know that when Mashiach comes, it's going to be restored to its full glory and maybe even greater than it ever was. And that is based on a prophecy. It's a prophecy in Yeshayahu. In Sefer Yeshayahu, in the book of Yeshayahu, it says over there, I will return your judges to like it was at the start, like it was at Roshayna at the very early days. And your counselors, your advisors, like the beginning. The Pasuk in Yeshaya. Um, we know that we pray, for, this is one of the things we pray for. We don't have it today. We pray for it. And the prayer is such an important prayer, it's part of the Shemona Esrei. It has its own bracha. 
And when we daven, and the words that we use in prayer is actually following the prophecy. The prophecy says, I'm going to bring you back your shoftim and your yoatzim, like it was in the early days. And that's what we're davening for. Return our judges like at first. And our advisors like at the beginning. So that's a request. And again, a promise from God that the Shoftim and the Shotrim and the Shoftim and the Yoatzim are going to be reestablished. Now, when exactly is that going to happen? Again, it's a messianic prophecy. It's related to the era of Mashiach. But when exactly in the coming of Mashiach are we going to experience a restoration of the Shoftim, the 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 the, the, the this this promise? Um, obviously, the full the fullest. Um, re-establishment of the Jewish judicial system is only going to be after Mashiach kind of completes his work and he builds us the Beis Amigdash. Because as we said before, the ultimate station of the Sanhedrin is to be in the Beis Amigdash. Actually, the sages say that when the Sanhedrin will, re- when the Sanhedrin will return, they're going to return from Tiberias, from Tiberia. That's their first place where they're going to congregate, they're going to come together from there, because that's where they were dismantled. The big Sanhedrin, the last place they were was in Tiberia. So from there they're going to return to Tiberia, and then from there they're going to go back. But ultimately, to be the power of the Basin and all of its glory, we need to have the Beis Amigdash, the third temple, and that's where the great Sanhedrin are going to sit. But the beginning of the restoration of this idea of a Sanhedrin might take place before. And that is taken from what Maimonides says, the Rambam in Pirish HaMishnayas. The Rambam wrote a Pirish on Mishnah. So in Sanhedrin, in Mishnah Perak Aleph, in the first chapter of the, of the tractate Sanhedrin, Mishnah Gimel, it says, Smichas Zekenim, in order to anoint, in order to give Smicha, uh, to ordain a rabbi, um, a, a, a judge, you need to have three sages who have to do it. Bishlosha. It needs to be a basin of three that needs to uh, oversee this, this, um, this uh, ordaining of the rabbi. So the Rambam, however, says over here, um, but, and again, we know the rule is that it has to be from someone who was in an uninterrupted, ordained by a rabbi who was ordained, that he was ordained back, 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 an uninterrupted chain to Moshe Rabbeinu. But then... Um, the Rambam says, "Well, the Indian im tzarich shiyah shloishu smuchin. If these three need to all have smicha, va'azi yechaylan lismach shum adam. In order for them to have the power to give smicha, do all three have to have smicha? Yesh pezes safuk. It's a doubt. It's it's questionable. Or mashon is barman ashas shiyah gadol shabehem samach. At least one of them needs to have smicha. In other words, it's a question of all three. The whole all three that are ordaining need to be." People that have smicha, or maybe one of them, it's enough if one of them that gives that's past part of that basin. And he should join with another two and give smicha. Any case. But the Ramam says, it appears to me. When there will be a, a consensus from all the wise men. And all the yeshiva people, all the all the students, to set aside one man from the school, from the yeshiva, the and they are going to make him their head. 
But this has to be in the land of Israel. So if you have a, a, a people that decide, I'm talking about all the Chachamim, all the wise men decide that there's someone worthy to be ordained with the ultimate or the power of smicha. So even though all these rabbis themselves don't have smicha, but if all the rabbis of the generation decide on one person that he's worthy, and they're in Eretz Yisrael, this person will fulfill his yeshiva, means and he will be samach. That means he will be considered um, as if he's properly ordained. And then he will have the power to ordain whoever he wants to. Because if you're not going to say so, so the Ramam says we're doomed. We'll never be able to reestablish a Beisden. Because once the chain was broken, we don't have anybody to give to, to initiate, to spark, to, to germinate the smicha again. Because it was broken already. Like who's, who has smicha today? No one has the real smicha. So therefore, in order for it to happen, if everybody together will decide, and that person will have the validity of smicha, and we need everybody. The only way it would be possible is through the resurrection of the dead. You'll have to bring back the previous generation, the, the, those who were, uh, I don't know, bring back one of the great rabbis, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai or whatever, and then he can, he can administer smicha. Okay, so maybe that's going to be, maybe we won't have a, a smicha until... Until Tchias Amesim. Maybe we have to wait for the resurrection. However, it's not the case because Vakadish Baruchu Yoad Sheyashuvu. Hashem promised, Hashem told us, designated that they're going to return. I'm going to return your judges like it was in the beginning, the Yoyat Sayech and your councilman Kibatchila like, 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 like the beginning. Okay. But maybe that's going to happen. Hashem says he's going to return it. Maybe that's after the resurrection. Nay, but the Pesach says, And afterwards you're going to be called. After that is going to happen, you're going to be called the city of righteousness. So therefore the Ramam says, When is this going to happen? When is this promise going to be fulfilled? Without any shadow of a doubt, This is a very important passage of Maimonides. When Hashem is going to prepare the hearts of man, and their merits are going to increase. In other words, there is going to be, let's listen to the Rambam carefully, Hashem is going to imbue at a certain time of Jewish history, a certain inspiration that is going to affect the hearts of people. And that means that people are going to become more, more spiritual. That's what it means. There is suddenly going to be an awakening amongst the Jewish people, and they're going to turn towards spirituality, towards Hashem. And therefore, Ramam says exactly, their merits are therefore going to increase. The chukasam Lashem Yisbarach, and they're going to have a longing to God. Ulatora and Fatora. The Tigadal Chachmasam, and their wisdom is also going to grow. Lifnei Boha Mashiach. So Ramam says that's going to happen before Mashiach comes. There are many psukim that Hashem is going to, people are going to be returning. He's going to bring back a massive tshuva. I'm going to send the hunger in the land. People are not going to be hungry for bread. I'm not thirsty for water. There's going to be a thirst amongst people to know God, to get closer. 
and so on and so forth. Anyways, so that's what Rambam says. So clearly from the Rambam is that this is something that has to take place before the complete coming of Moshiach. So we have to begin asking ourselves the question, where do we stand with this prophecy? Is it possible that this, to a certain degree, has begun already? Has this happened? We don't have a big Sanhedrin, that we don't have. But perhaps we have some element of this idea, Shiva Shiftayach and Yoyetzayach, already, not in its full halachic criteria, but perhaps we have it already fulfilled in, at least in a partial way. So let's, let's examine that, let's understand it. In order to, 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 to appreciate that, let's first dig deeper into the words of the prophecy and compare it to the mitzvah in the Torah. Because the mitzvah in the Torah that we have to establish judges, it says two, two, two parts to it. This week's parsha again, the opening mitzvah. Shoftim, judges, shotrim, and, and officers. Titan um, lacha, this is what you should appoint. So what does that mean? In order for a society to be able to to, to be a, 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 a uh, righteous society where people, God forbid, will not abuse others and take advantage of others. The powerful will not, you know, destroy and, and, and abuse the, the weak. In order for that to happen, you need to have a system. You need to have a, a someone who's going to hold people accountable. And that's, so you have a court, a court system. But a court system is not enough because a judge only has power if he has people who will enforce it. You know, decent, good-hearted people probably won't be abu- too abusive to other people, and they will listen to a judge just because the judge said so. This is right. They just need clarification. But sometimes you have bullies, and you have people that are uh, ruthless and heartless, and they just want things their way. They're so obsessed with their own, with their own, with their own whatever, agendas, their own desires, their own wants. And therefore, they will, they will squeeze the last blood, drop of blood out of someone. Now, these guys, even if a judge will tell them what you're doing is wrong, what is the judge going to do? He's almost wrong. See, that person doesn't care. He has the might, he has the power. So for that reason, you have to have those. He enforces what we call law enforcement. So we're obligated to set up law enforcement. If, if the judge in America says, you know, today, so-and-so has to happen, and a guy doesn't want to listen, he'll get arrested. And the police will show up and take him away. Can handcuff him and take him out. So that what, that's what makes people comply with the judge. So in order to have uh, compliance with the judge, you need to have you need to have officers. So this is something that every society needs to have. I would perhaps say that a court system and a police department, to a certain degree, is a holy institution. That means what do I mean, holy? It's, it's divinely ordained. God wants that in a society, or else you'll have a corrupt world. So you need to have that. Now, obviously, it's possible that, the police, that, that, that a police force itself could be corrupt, but you know, there are countries that way, where, where, you know, where, where, the, where the law enforcement are, are, are completely, completely corrupted. But thank God in America we have a... a Mostly, can't say on every on every person, but mostly, a a a, a law enforcement system that is at least based on that they want to do the right thing. In any case, um, the the um, oh, when we take when we examine the Beisden, however, when we look a look at when we take a look at I'm sorry at the prophecy, the prophecy that it says in Yeshaya, it says Shiva uh, Sheftayach, I will return your judges. 
It doesn't say I will, when Mashiach comes, it doesn't say I will bring you back your Jewish police force, Jewish law enforcement. It says, instead of the shoftim, it emits the shotrim. It doesn't say, it doesn't say a police force after the coming of Mashiach. But instead of the shotrim, it mentions, it, it inserts something else. It says, v'yoatzim, which is something that does not say in the Pasuk. It says, yoatzim, which means your advisors. So we need to understand what the difference. How come in the mitzvah, in the biblical, in the commandment of the Torah itself, it mentions judges and officers and law enforcement? But when it comes to the future prophecy, it omits the law enforcement, and it puts in this new idea of these counselors these advisors. So we need to understand what is the significance or what is the meaning. First of all, what's the difference between a judge and an advisor? What, 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 what role does the advisor play? What does it mean? And why is it different than in the Pasuk, in the mitzvah? We would think that the prophet would follow the mitzvah. That's what we lost. We, lo- we lost this judicial system that includes both judges and, and law enforcement. So it should be restored, the same thing. That's what we need to understand. Also more specific, in detail, how come when it comes to the judges, it says, kibari, kibari shona, like at the beginning, or like at first. Rishona means first. Like at first, the yayetzayich, and your advisors, kibatchila, like at the beginning, like at the start. So how come over here, it uses the word tchila, and here it uses the word Roshayna, like at first. What's the, what's the difference of the thing? The other thing is that in the Chumash, it refers to judges just plain as judges. It's a shoftim, judges. It doesn't say your judges. It's a shoftim v'shotrim. Now, it does mention you later in the Pasuk. It says, shoftim v'shotrim titain l'cha. The shoftim and the shotrim you should give for yourselves. Establish for yourselves judges, right? But still, it doesn't call the judges your judges. But in the prophecy regarding both the judges and the advisors, it says, Your judges and your advisors. So, what is the reason for these changes? So, in order to understand this, let's really examine the, the need for law enforcement. See, law enforcement doesn't have essentially any inherent value. The, the, what we really need is we want to have law and order. We want to have a just society where people do, people act in a, in, a, in a moral manner. In a moral manner and in a manner that is correct and righteous between man and fellow man. No, for that, sometimes you will, inevitably you'll have different, different, people see things the way they, they, in their own, through their own prism. People are biased to the way they see things. We're not always objective. So obviously, certain cases will be disputes. Even amongst really wonderful, good people, there can be disputes. Because I think I have a right to do so and so, and the other person thinks they have the right to do so and so. And, and if we don't know what an objective opinion is, what an objective opinion is. So the Torah, the Torah gives us whole ways and, 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 uh, and uh, legal uh, uh, opinion, not just opinion, a legal law, what the Torah decides the law is, 
in matters that people argue on. That's the law of the Torah. And it's in all aspects of life that there is arguments between people. You're responsible, you're not responsible. This area, public area, that everybody can use it. This is my personal area. In a public area, what can I do in that public space? What can't I do? All these questions. There's thousands and thousands of questions. And Torah has its 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 idea regarding these things. Even, in, as we said, in modern secular law, also the oral laws which are the accepted law that has been decided on it. But then we have Torah law. So a judge is always needed because people need to know what the ruling is. Now, law enforcement is also necessary. But law enforcement is only necessary if you're going to have someone who is non-compliant with the judge. In other words, the mere fact that something is right and that it is correct is not compelling enough for this individual to abide by this. Now why is that the case? Why wouldn't someone obey an instruction if you know that this is the right, uh, the right thing to do? The right thing because so society decided and we came to a... Con- or much stronger than that, it's the right thing because Torah decided so and so. This is the way God this, uh, sees it. Why would someone not listen to that? The answer is because of what we all know we're born with, we have Yetzirah, we have evil inclination. So because of the evil inclination that will tell a person, I want to do what I want to do, what's, what suits me, what's good for me, and I couldn't care less what is right. This is what I wanted, this is going to bring me benefit, or this is going to, you know, it's going to save me from harm, and therefore makes me more comfortable. So therefore my personal needs override what Torah says, what is correct, what is righteous, what is right. So therefore, you so therefore you have the society has to establish a force that that needs to be reckoned with, and what's that force? Those are the three police officers, six foot police officers. They're going to show up by the door, and the guy knows that he has to abide by it, or else he's in trouble. So that's the reason why we need law enforcement. Comes out that the whole institution of law enforcement is only a necessity as long as there is Sahara in the world. As long as there's evil inclination in the world. The moment Hashem is going to transform our hearts, which is what is going to happen when Mashiach comes, Hashem is going to remove our stone hearts. I'm going to give you a, a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a heart that bends and yields joyfully and happily to the, the will of Hashem, a heart that wants to do what's right, or when Hashem, as the Pasuk says, Hashem is going to remove, He's going to circumcise the heart. Right? All these psukim, so many psukim. The spirit of impurity, which includes the spirit of impurity that is individually in every person's heart, can be removed, it's going to disappear. So in that case, we, there is no need anymore for law enforcement. We still need judges, because it doesn't mean because there's no Yetzirah, it doesn't mean that everybody knows the entire Torah. And everybody automatically is born with knowledge of what's right in every case. We need to inquire by the rabbi. So we will need to, sometimes there will be litigation between two parties. We'll come to the court and have to present their cases. But you don't need any law enforcement. So now we understand why, even though in the Pasuk it does say Shotrim, because the Pasuk is giving us... He's giving us, the, giving us this mitzvah. And the mitzvah is being given for all times, not just for the days, not just for the messianic era. But the Torah is, being, is given this for uh, all the time 
the, 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 the three and a half thousand years from when the Torah was given until the coming of Mashiach. So during that time, of course, we need to have a law enforcement. But once Mashiach comes, we don't need that. So the prophecy that's talking about, the prophecy is talking already a prophecy after the coming of Mashiach. When that's going to happen, there is no need to have show trips. Or why would the Torah say, I'm going to bring back your law enforcement that's not necessary? Oh, and that's precisely the reason why it takes away the law officers, but in their place, it puts in a, a new, a new um, position. And that position is called your advisors. So let's understand what does it mean, the advisors? What are they all about, the advisors? You see, the advisors, which will come in the days of Mashiach, or perhaps maybe earlier in order to acclimate, in order to transition the world into the Messianic age, we will already start to experience this, this new institution called advisors. But these advisors are necessary in order to make sure to assure that the compliance with the law is going to be complete. In other words, even though we will not have Yetzirah anymore when Mashiach comes, and therefore, at the very end, everybody is going to listen to what Torah says needs to be done. We're all going to be, what we say, Torah observant. We're all going to do all the, between us and God, and between us and people. There won't be any abuse left in the world. There won't be anything bad. Everybody will be acting perfectly righteously. But still, in order for it to be thoroughly compliant, and in a world where to work perfectly in a perfect moral and just way, we need to add one, one more entity, which is the, the advisors. They come to fill a certain need. And it's only with the advisors do we have an absolute observance. So what does that mean? So the idea is as follows. The difference between a judge and an advisor... A judge is someone who has the authority to hand down a verdict. A judge decides the matter. Why is he, what gives him this, uh, this right? Why does the judge, he or her, how do they have this authority and this power? Obviously because they're, they're very knowledgeable. They deserve to be a judge. They're way above the masses. Who is selected to be a judge? Let's go into the Torah world. Who was a judge? Who was from the Sanhedrin? The greatest scholars. There were a lot, a lot of great scholars, but few of them made it in to be a judge. The judges were the greatest, the greatest of scholars. That, that great knowledge, and also they had to, they, it wasn't enough just to be great in, in, in intellectuals and great in knowledge. They also had to be men of great piety. As it says, when they selected the judges, Yisrael tells Moshe he should select people that are of great moral stature. So these are people that are on a much higher caliber than average people, and therefore they have the right to dictate behavior. And again, especially in a case where two people have an argument, two people, one wants it one way, one wants it the other way, and the way the judge decides, that's the end of it. That's the way it needs to be. What gives them the authority to do that? They know what God, they're transmitting the word of Hashem. 
They know what God, based on the Torah, they figure out what God wants and that gives them that, that gives them their authority. So they are really, judges are really speaking to us from a very high place. A judge speaks down to you. What I mean down doesn't mean, I don't mean disparagingly, I don't mean dismissively, but I'm speaking down means because he's in a higher place, he can dictate, he can control, he can tell you what to, and why do you listen? Why do you listen to the judge? You listen to the judge because you have no choice. You listen to the judge because the judge's ruling overwhelms you. Now, he can overwhelm you because of the police force. That's why he can, over, can overwhelm you. But even if you take away the law enforcement, he, can, he overwhelms you because of his position of authority. It, I don't have to understand why it is that way. The judge doesn't, doesn't have to make sense to me. I can leave court and think I'm absolutely innocent, but yet I'm guilty. And I owe the guy the money. Even though I think it's innocent, but I still have to comply. Why? It's an infor- the, the judge is an, has the ability to enforce something because of his high position. In a sense, a judge is almost like a king. It's like a king. A king commands, you have to listen. Why? Because you agree with the king? No. Because the king has absolute authority. A judge doesn't have absolute authority, but in the areas in which he is given authority, he has absolute authority. So you have to listen. That kind of a listening is a listening, but it's a very, it being that you don't appreciate it and you don't understand it, and it doesn't make sense to you, so you're listening but you, and, you're, and you'll execute what the judge says, but you're going to execute what the judge says reluctantly. You're going to do it because you have to do it. And when you do something reluctantly, then you're not really doing it completely. Because you're only doing it with your outside, you're not doing it with your inside. So you're doing it lethargically, you're doing it half-heartedly, you're doing it grudgingly, it's difficult, you don't want to, but you do it. Now, after everything is said and done, that guy's going to get paid. The guy who claims you owe him money, he's going to get paid. But it might take a week until the payment will be, will be delivered, and, or even if it's done, but again, it's done in a very heavy way. And he, the person who's receiving it doesn't even feel good about receiving it because he knows how much you're, you're, you're upset about it. Right? So that's, I'm just showing you I'm just, all the possibilities of why it's lacking. So even though at the end of the day, the, the, the law of the land, the law of the Torah will hold sway, will be realized without law enforcement, but there's still something lacking. What's an advisor? An advisor is someone why you, you go for for counsel. So obviously you're going to someone who you respect and you honor. Someone who's above you. The truth is you can go to for advice, you can go to a good friend. But the reason why, and sometimes the person doesn't even have to be smarter than you and why is it you just want an objective opinion okay, but usually when you're going to someone you want to go to someone who's uh, you know you respect maybe for their wisdom for their knowledge empathy and everything else that they have qualities and that's why you go to this a person for for advice you go for counsel but the you don't want an answer from them like a judge a cold this is what you do and just do it because i say so that's not, what, that's, that, 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 that's not what it means to take counsel. Counsel means you're confused. You want someone to help you clarify it. And you should see things in the correct way. So the, the, the counselor, the advisor explains you. 
I think this is, this is right. And this is good for you. And this is going to be, this is really going to work out. So on and so forth. So when it comes to Torah, we can, we can experience the Torah as receiving it from a judge. The do's and the don'ts. Keep Shabbos. That's kosher. That's not kosher. That's, you can marry this person. You can't marry the person. And, and if you ask any questions, just be quiet and listen. I mean, okay. There is a method in that element and there's something about that because in that we're surrendering to a higher authority and ultimately the authority of the judge is the authority of God and we're doing it because God said so and that's very, very special and that's very, very great but there is a part of us that's dead. There's a part of us that's not involved. There's a part of us, we're skipping, we're shutting down. It's almost like there's in a certain sense it's a little bit robotic. We're doing it as a robot, cold and with lack of enthusiasm and lack of excitement. But if I have a counselor and I have an advisor who explains it to me and shows me why it's beautiful, why it's nice, why by me paying this bill that I don't want to pay in the end, I'm not gonna, it's not going to harm me. Because whatever loss I'm going to have temporarily now is going to come back to me much greater. Like whatever it is, in a way that you feel, and this is, and, 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 and whatever, acting morally and right is good and wonderful and it's best way and you're connecting to God and whatever other explanation he's doing to you that gives you the excitement, the understanding and the appreciation of what you're doing is a good thing to do. Ah, so then when you're walking out, you feel really good about what you're going to do. So that's the difference between a judge, but the problem with the advisor, why do we need judges? Then we should only have advisors, we should only have counselors. The reason why you need a judge is because ultimately an advisor, you still have a choice to listen or not to listen because he doesn't have the authority. And then saying, even in a case where there's no Yetzirah, there's no evil inclination anymore, but it's still, he's not in a position where he has the ability to give you the, the verdict and say, this is the law, this is, this is what you have to do. He has no right to do that. He's, only a, he's someone who's a kind of your peer or on your level. What right does he have to do that? You go into an authority, you go into someone who has a legitimate authority as a rabbi to tell you the right from the wrong. That's number one. Secondly, the judge is pulling and channeling and directing from a much higher place. He's coming from a place of objective truth. It's unrelated to how I see it and how I like it, whether it's good for me or it's not going to be. In a sense, the judge is really giving you the, 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 the way God sees it, what the Eberster wants, what Hashem wants. The full, unadulterated, unwatered truth, undiminished truth. Um, so therefore, it's a more powerful truth that you're connecting to that is being transmitted to you by the judge. Problem is, because it's so high, because it's so grandeur, because it's so godly, it might be completely over your own head and your own, your own psyche, your own needs, your own wants, your own little world. And therefore you don't see in any way how this benefits you in any way, shape, and form. And therefore, you know, I have no choice. I'm doing it. So I'm surrendering to it, but it, it, it's not... I, 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 I'm going to do it, but I'm, as we said earlier, I'm going to do it, but only externally, not internally. Uh, the advisor advises, explains, gives me, makes me see the good in it and appreciate it so then I can identify with it. When I can identify with it, it's delightful. It's wonderful. I really, really want to go ahead with this. I want to do this. I, I see it as the best thing and so on and so forth. So I have the quality. Now ultimately, 
It's when you have both together. It's when you have a perfect observance. You have a perfect, um, a perfect observance because on the one hand, what you're doing in your life is based on absolute truths that is handed down by these high judges who know the law of the Torah perfectly and are giving you the full truth, not watered-down truth, but the truth as it is, not the way you like it or you want to see it, but the way it is. But then you also have people you can go to, or perhaps the same judge is playing also a role. He takes off his judge hat, and he puts on his advisor hat, and suddenly he lowers himself down, you know, 5,000 feet. He mitigates himself, and he becomes someone who's like your friend. And he's speaking to you a different language. Not this is what you have to do and so on and so forth. But this is the most beautiful thing to do. And he explains it to you. And then so you suddenly in your own little mind, in our own little minds, we can, we can appreciate it, understand it, get excited about it, and do whatever we're expected to do fully, with full identification, with full excitement and enthusiasm in what we're doing. And that's the reason why when Moshiach will come, we will not, we will not need any more of the shotrim who are the law enforcement, that we only need when we have Yetzirah, no evil inclination, no more people that exert external force and influence, threats to get us to do things. In their place, we're going to put another, another institution, the institution of people that will be counselors, that will counsel every human being when it comes to Torah observance, and again, we were talking before matters of disputes between people, man and man. But this also obviously applies to matters of Judaism, matters of Yiddishkeit, matters in which we might be struggling with in our lives to incorporate God's will and do things exactly the way Hashem wants. Sometimes we feel at a little bit at odds that we would maybe do things a different way. And yet, for that, we first seek out the truth from the judge, from the rabbi, from the one that has the authority, and then we might call it, we have a personal mentor, a personal mashpia, influencer, in which I can talk things through and realize how this is really good advice for me. Obviously, God's way of life, Hashem's mitzvahs, is good for every single person because Hashem is the infinite wisdom and His Torah is perfect from all, from all sides. So it's not only good for God, but it's ultimately good for us as well. We can't always see it, so for that we have the counselors. So now we understand why the, 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 the full observance of Torah in its most perfect way is going to be fulfilled as a result of having Shoftim and Yoatzim and the advisors. Together it's going to be. Now, um, the, a, a, uh, something a little similar to the idea of a shofate and a yoates is perhaps um, another um, entity that we've also kind of lost, not kind of, we've lost in, the, in this painful uh, state of exile. Many of the great Jewish establishments have been lost. So this is another thing that has been lost during that time, and that is the concept of a prophet. Prophecy has also 
been interrupted. And um, since prophecy, since prophecy has been stop, we used to have prophets. Prophets are, in a sense, even though prophets are extremely, extremely godly men, very, 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 very high level of human beings can be a prophet. A prophet is considered, of course, much greater than ordinarily a regular judge or a rabbi. You have someone who can communicate directly with God. However, there is something about a prophet that makes, that is similar to the role of the yoetz, of the, of the advisor. Why? Because we know that when Hashem communicated and communicates to the Jewish people and to the world His truth, He communicated it through prophets. But within prophecy itself, there is prophecy, and then there is that God gave us the Torah. What's the difference between Torah and prophecy? Now obviously we know Torah is stronger than prophecy. What do we mean Torah is stronger than prophecy? A prophet can never contradict the Torah. If a prophet comes and says that the certain mitzvah of the Torah doesn't apply anymore, then this prophet is immediately dismissed and maybe even punished, right? Because a, a prophet has no legitimacy and no power over the Torah. So the highest and greatest communication from God to the world is the Torah. But what's the difference inherently, essentially, between Torah and Nevuah? Divrei Torah and Divrei Nevuah, words of prophecy. What's the difference between them? So one of the differences between them is as follows. Torah is, even though Torah is communicated to the world, and we can study Torah, follow its dictates, apply the Torah to our lives, and we're commanded to do so. Yet, the Torah is not about us. The Torah is utterly divine. The Torah is Hashem's wisdom. The sages say, Torah kadma la'olam. The Torah precedes the world. When they say Torah precedes the world, it doesn't only mean that God prepared the Torah before He created the world. It means that the Torah is above and beyond creation. It's not about the creation. It's about God. When we learn the Torah, it almost seems like the Torah is all about the creation. Because what's the Torah? Mitzvahs of how to behave in the world. If someone has a, an accident, someone has a dispute with someone else, and they have an argument, what does the Torah say? It seems like the Torah is all about the world. It's hard for us even to understand how it's possible to have a Torah if there's no creation and there's no world. What does the Torah talk about? Everything about the Torah talks about the world. That's because we're receiving the Torah already in its outer garb. But the essence of Torah at its purest state is utterly divine and utterly godly. And so it's not about the world, it's about Hashem. And it's infinitely above the world. So when the Torah is given to us, and we can take these godly principles and and godly actions and godly behaviors and elevate our lives to be synchronized or to be in, 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 uh, even, to be, um, to be, we, we can align ourselves with God by living in a godly life. The way it's delivered to us is in a way from, as we said before, similar to a judge. It's being delivered to us from above. It doesn't make a difference 
if you understand it, if you don't understand it, if it makes sense to you, if it doesn't make sense to you, how many laws of Torah do we have that make, utterly don't make any sense to us, but we do them, why? Because Torah sets them. It's, it's beautiful that there are certain things we do understand, certain things that do make sense, but there are so many other laws. And we even know, it's interesting, it says that even the mitzvahs that do have reasons, it's only the general mitzvah has a reasons, but the details of the mitzvahs um, don't, are incomprehensible. We don't, we don't know why, the details. We know the general theme of the mitzvah, yeah. But, but all the details of it, so it is. This is what we learn out from a, we learn it out from a pasuk, like this. The laws of Shabbos, do they make sense? No, this is the way you keep Shabbos, this is the way you keep Shabbos. So it's again, it's an authority from above, because it's not about us, it's about God. Now obviously, we're given the opportunity that we can now lift ourselves up and live a godly life. Oh, so that's the greatest the greatest, the, the greatest um, kindness that God has given us, that we can step out of creation-like existence and attune ourselves to divine existence and live a godly life, lift ourselves up to higher. But again, but, 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 but by, that means that we're stepping out of, of, of worldly time and space existence to incorporate and to... And to um, and to and to and, and to and to abide by a higher code, a, a God system of, of life, the way Hashem behaves, the way Hashem lives. Fine. Prophecy is different. Prophecy is all about us. Prophecy is a meant for the creation. The Rambam says, "A kel menabes adam." Hashem communicates to people. And what's the point of a prophet? The point of a prophet is that Hashem wants... There is a creation. There's no such thing. It doesn't say anywhere that prophecy preceded the world. It's not that there are these divine channels that are just channeling into the infinite. And then it happens to me when prophecy comes time to prophecy, Hashem takes one of those channels and channels it down to the world. Torah is that way. So the whole point of a prophet is that God, God created a creation. And from time to time, he wants to speak to his creation. He wants to tell us something. For what? For the better of us. If he sees that, we are, that, that the world has become like, for example, when the Nineveh, the people in Nineveh were going off the deep end, they were becoming extremely corrupted. So God sent them Jonah, Yonah Hanavi, to go and make, to help them do tshuva. And that's what most of their prophets came, to minister, to, 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 to rebuke, to try to tweak and fix behaviors of humans to make it be the way. And sometimes prophet, a prophet came just to tell us to predict the future so that we can, uh, and, if it, and if we can change, if it's something threatening, if this hurricane is coming, Hashem should protect the people. And so the prophet would tell us, because we have no clue. Like what exactly, if this hurricane is coming and threatening Florida and Georgia and the Carolinas, can we do something to have the, the hurricane you know, move and turn and maybe it'll just miss the whole United States coast? Well, we have to know what it is that we're doing wrong. Right? So everybody's going to blame everybody else. Okay? The, the, the first thing everybody's going to blame is that Trump, it's going to be Trump's fault that the hurricane is coming. And he's going to blame, the, right? Everybody's going to have everybody pointing out. We don't know. What, whose problem is it that the hurricane, what, what, what is it? So a prophet would tell us, based on what? Based on what he receives from God, what it is that maybe we, we, we could improve and should improve and what we should do, and uh, we, can, we, will, we, will, we, will, we will have a miracle, and so on and so forth. So the concept of prophecy is a communication to the world. So, so if you think about it, it's similar. Torah, the idea of Torah is shofate. It's 
a higher truth, unrelated to us, absolute, above us, and so on. Nevuah is similar to the concept of Yoetz. It's here to guide, to direct, uh, and, and people actually would always go to the prophet when they had problems. When people had certain problems and they needed to know, you know what, would, what they should do, they would go to the Navi and they would seek out prophecy and then a Navi can help them. So this is the, the, uh, the, 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 the concept of, of having like a Yoetz, having someone who's closer to you. So again, to have someone who's a godly being, who communicates to God, but he brings God down to us, as opposed to the teachings of Torah, which is giving us God as God is for himself, not giving us God as God is for us. Prophecy is bringing it down to each and every one of us in a way that that, that fits us, that we need personally. So, um, what's the story with prophecy? We know when Mashiach will come. We said earlier, Hashem will return the judges. And Hashem will return the... He will give us Yoetzim, advisors. And how about Nevi'im? What's the story with prophecy? So we know that for the last 2,000 years, we don't really have prophecy anymore. If you ask any, any, any person that knows anything about t- Torah and Judaism, we'll say that for the last 2,000 years, there ain't no prophecy. And it's actually a Gemara. The Gemara says, I think in Masechtas Megillah, the Gemara says that Mois, when Chagai Zechariah Malachi passed away, Nistalka Nevuah, Nevuah, prophecy departed. No more prophecy. It departed. We know, however, when Mashiach will come, prophecy will come back. It says, I think it's in Zechariah where it says that prophecy. God says, I will spill my prophecy. I will spill my prophecy out on all flesh. Amateurs, little kids, shmendricks, are going to be prophets. Prophecy, it's not only going to be back to prophecy, but we're going to have so much prophets. Little children, teenagers, or even younger, uh, minors will be prophets. What does that mean, prophets? That they will, God will communicate with them. Unbelievable. How close humanity will be to Hashem. How about in the in-between time? In the in-between time, the sages say, Nistalka, prophecy was interrupted. But it's got to come back. Now, based on what we said before, that real observance of Yiddishkeit is not, when I say real observance of Yiddishkeit, I mean wholesome observance of Yiddishkeit. The way Judaism is meant to be observed in the full scope of observance is that it shouldn't be a powerful force that compels us. But rather it should be in a manner in which whatever it is in Judaism that we're doing, we're doing it in a way that 
it, it, it kind of, it's assimilated into our psyche and into our consciousness. And therefore our observance of it is done in a manner of, 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 of having an appreciation and understanding of what we're doing and why we're doing. If that's the ultimate observance, we understand that entering into Mashiach's, the Mashiach era cannot happen in an instant, in a blink of an eye. Because if it would happen in a, in, in, in a blink of an eye, then what would happen? Then, and suddenly we will go from who we are today. And we will immediately transition. And, 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 how, and what's the situation that we are in exile? In exile, we're in a very, very impoverished spiritual state. The Jewish people are lacking in so many things. And to go immediately into intense observance perfect observance and perfect communication with God, what would that mean? That means that the, it means it's a miracle, but it also means that our observance is not going to be truly who we are. Suddenly, magically, we transform to other people. But it's not, it's not us. It's not... It's, and therefore... Even if we might be behaving in a certain way and doing things in a certain way, but it's almost like, what happened to the person? Where are you? You're not there. Because how, how did you suddenly end up being so godly? So therefore we understand that in order for something to be real, it requires a gradual transition. That's what we know in our lives if you see someone that met this rabbi or met this certain coach or met this thing and suddenly they're like a complete different person and a different everything, you can take it with a grain of salt. You know, there's not much hope in that. It's not real. Any real change comes through hard work and it comes slowly. Now, I'm, not, I'm definitely not saying that there won't be a powerful transformation in the world and which will impact all of mankind. It will. But there will be a gradual um, transformation happening as well in order to condition human beings to that change so that when we will live that way, we will truly be there. It won't be something that is, not, is, that is foreign to us. It's like we're behaving as like, like we became other people. That's, that's not the point. That's why there has to be, for that reason, already before Mashiach comes, there needs to be already the reinstitutions of the judges, the advisors. The truth is the advisors we didn't really ever really have. The advisors is a new institution that's going to come in when Mashiach comes. But if we say, as we said before, that prophets were similar to advisors, the the, the judges and the advisors and the prophets will return gradually to the Jewish people. They might not be the prophets in the way that we expect the prophet to look like, that he's walking and he says, so says God. 
in the way the Prophet spoke then, that's going to happen then, but we are going to be experiencing a gradual return towards prophecy so that we can acclimate ourselves. We can acclimate ourselves and, and tune into something like this in a way that our Mashiach experience is going to be real to us, true to who we are, not an overwhelming, otherworldly, um, tr- um, uh, um, what we might say, a metamorphosis. But that's not the point, because if it's a metamorphosis, then it's not us. It has to be us. So for that reason, the prophecy will also return in a gradual state. Now, but the didn't this, now, so maybe it happened already, that's what I'm saying. Maybe it happened already. You'll argue and you'll say, well, it says that, is there, do we have any prophets in our generation? Is there such a thing as prophecy? Well, it says, I mentioned earlier, that, that, that when, when Chagei Zechariah Malachi, the last Nevi'im passed away, Nistalka Nevoah. Nevoah was departed. So if someone will come and argue that someone is a prophet, we'll say, what are you, crazy? You're, you're contradicting the Talmud. But the words that Chazal use, Chazal are very, very accurate. The words that the sages use when they talk about the end of prophecy, they don't say that prophecy was stopped. They don't use the words batla nevuah. Batla nevuah means it was interrupted. It was stopped. Or paska. Paska also means interrupted. Nostalka means it departed. It departed. When something departs, it can always return. It went away, it can return. Sages are not saying it has to be this way as a rule. They were saying, until that time, the channels of prophecy were open. At, at the time when they passed away, this prophecy that Hashem communicates to people departed, and it can always come back. And it's possible that even throughout the exile, we have individuals that have prophecy. In the um, writings of the Arizal, Reb Chaim Vital and Shar HaKadusha, he describes the idea of Ruach HaKodesh that was throughout all, through different great sages in history. Even way after the days of, for sure in the days of the Tanoim and Amaroim, the sages of the Mishnah. But even later times, you have Ruach HaKodesh, which is like people that are inspired with a spirit of holiness, which is close to the idea of prophecy. Can't literally say Ruach HaKodesh is a lower level. It's on the lower end of prophecy, but it is close to prophecy. Maimonides, Rambam, in the laws, in his, in his letter that he wrote to the Yemenite Jews, Rambam wrote a letter to the Yemenite Yidden called Igeres Teman. The Yemenite Jews were being persecuted horrifically by the. By the um, by the Muslim uh, um, uh, government, they, they suffered tremendously. And the Raman was sending them a long letter to comfort them. They were being forced to convert and all kinds of things. So the Raman says like this, We have by us a great Kabbalah. We have passed down from generation to generation. I received this tradition from my father, Shekibel Ma'aviv, who received it from his father, Umeyavi, he received it from his father, Maimon, who received it from him, all the way up. 
For who kibel adaver and he received it higher. V'chein adaver at chilas hagalus shel Yerushalayim. Going all the way back to the first exile when Jews were exiled from Jerusalem. So we have a tradition going back to the days of the prophets. And what does it say over there? That in the prophecy of Bilam, in Pasha's Balak, there is a hint that prophecy is going to return to the Jewish people after it's going to be interrupted. That means, and even before Mashiach. And the Rambam goes ahead to say in which year it's going to return. The prophecy is going to return. And the truth is that in, the early, in, in that area time, they were in Germany, tzaddikim, who were incredibly on a very, very high spiritual um, uh, 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 stature. In, in, around the time that the Rambam states that prophecy is going to return. There was Rebbe Liezer Rokeach, he's known as the Rokeach, and where it says there was non-stop Ruach HaKodesh in his shul, and there was the, uh, the Sefer Hasidim, Rabbi Yehuda HaChasid, was his student, I think he was a Rokeach student, you had a group of like tzaddikim that were like otherworldly in terms of their piety and in terms of their, uh, their ability to, to, to know the future, to know things that others, that up till their day we didn't see. I mean, after a long interruption. But in any case, and then the Rambam adds these words, the ain't suffic, there is no doubt. The Rambam says there's no doubt about it. That return of prophecy will precede Mashiach. That's very important to know. That before Mashiach arrives, prophecy will return to the world. And it's necessary. It's not just it will happen before. It's an introduction to Mashiach. Now, it makes sense that this is... This fits exactly with what the Rambam is describing in the Pirisha Mishnah, which I said earlier, that a, a time before Mashiach comes, Hashem is going to send an inspiration that is going to move the hearts of people, and people are going to be seeking Hashem, and they're going to be seeking deeper Torah, and they're going to want to connect to God. And it's going to be before Mashiach comes. Well, along with the prophets that communicate with God, will be this awakening. We all know that Mashiach is at the doorstep. But maybe we haven't paid attention to this idea that prophecy and this awakening is here already in the world. We're living in very unique times. And this is already a reality. So where are the prophets? Who are the prophets? Does a prophet have to wear sandals without socks and a turban and a long robe? Does he have to do that? Or can a prophet be one of the rabbis or tzaddikim that we do know and are wears a regular hat? <laughs> I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not the prophet. But who, who might be the prophet? So the, the Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe speaks about this in an awesome fabrengen, in an awesome talk that the Rebbe gave Parsha Shoftim, the last time the Rebbe spoke to us, in this week's Parsha, in 1991, the Rebbe gave an earth-shattering talk on that Shabbos. And I say it was earth-shattering because on that, following that Shabbos talk, right after that, the riots in Crown Heights broke out. 
I last time when I spoke about this, I mentioned that this the rides happened the week before. That's wrong. I, I miss I, I miss I I, I I mentioned the wrong thing. It was the Rebbe gave the sicha that Shabbos, and the following week after that, literally all totally mayhem broke out in Kron Heights. You see that there was very there's something great tension happened here. I mean, I'm not the one to make the connection, but I just think it's so interesting that he spoke that on Shabbos, and after that, like all this. That's what happened. Something shook. And during that talk, the Rebbe spoke, everything I've been saying earlier is from what the Rebbe was talking about, about the idea of the counselor and the, and the, and the replacing the, 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 the law enforcement and all of that. And the Rebbe talking about prophecy. And the Rebbe says, well, listen here. He says in Rambam, when this whole idea that, that prophecy is going to return, it's not just, again, I just shared with you something from a letter from the Rambam. That's not halacha. And let's take a look in halacha. In the laws of Hilchas Yisodei Torah, in the laws of the foundation of Torah, in Rambam, the Rambam sets laws regarding prophecy. And the Rambam over there describes halacha, that when we, ha- when we see a person who has these and these qualifications, and, he ca- and he's, w- he's walking in the ways of the prophets, that means he's a very, very holy human being, dedicated to Torah, to mitzvahs, and so on, in a very, very super way, and he says that God spoke to him, and he tells us the future, and these future things are fulfilled, and we test them once or twice, and we see what he says is fulfilled, and that person is a prophet. So the Rebbe says, I mean, these laws are not applicable today. What is the Rambam who wrote his book after the prophecy was over already, why is the Rambam writing this whole thing in a Sefer? It's not going to be Nogea anymore. When the Rambam is writing his book, this whole concept of prophet is not Nogea, it's not meaning it's not applicable. There's no more prophets. It's over. So the Rebbe says, no, no, no. This is a halacha. We have to know this because this really applies to all times. And the biggest proof, one of the qualifications, when the Rambam lists all the qualifications that are needed for prophecy, the Rambam does not say that you have to live in the time of the temple. The Rambam doesn't put any time restriction on it. You had to live 2,000 years ago. He doesn't say that is a sign that according to halacha, there is no such thing. A prophet can arrive any time throughout history. Because we have become so exiled, sadly, and I don't blame, this is, this is as a result of, of, of all the darkness that we've been through, we've become so cynical and so suspicious because there are a lot of weird people Lunatics who claim they're prophets. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a. That's not a chiddush. You'll have people popping out of the works, take a little LSD or whatever it is, and they're prophets already. Obviously, but we and we had some pretty good imposters that kind of claimed that this and that. So we're wary. So Jews take everything with a grain of salt. Don't give me a prophet. Go into a shtibel in I don't know in Flatbush, in the five towns. Go into a regular shul, go into anywhere, a Muncie in a lake with a Syria shul and start talking about there's a prophet. They'll throw you out the window. The Jews don't want to accept this. Yeah, but these very Jews that learn halacha and very, very serious in Hilchus Tfilin and in Hilchus Shabbos and Hilchus Mikvah and Hilchus Kashrus and Hilchus Kash, everything, everything is rigid. Just because there's something that they're not used to doesn't mean it doesn't apply. I mean, as long as they'll agree to me, on one thing, 
that it's possible according to halacha that there should be a prophet. We might not have seen it, but it's possible today that there should be a prophet. There's no reason why not. There could be a prophet. If a person has the qualities that Rambam says, then it's possible that Hashem should give him prophecy. Not only that, the Rebbe in that talk says, it's, the Rambam doesn't only talk about regular prophets, the Rambam talks about Moshe Rabbeinu's unique kind of prophecy. Now Moshe Rabbeinu was way above all the prophets. And the Rambam goes to describe all the features that is unique about, about Moshe's prophecy that made Moshe Rabbeinu stand out as a unique prophet. A unique prophet. So the Rebbe says, that's for sure not no gay Allah halacha. Moshe Rabbeinu passed away already. He's not here anymore. Why is it us today need to know about Moshe's prophecy if Moshe Rabbeinu is not even here today? Like why do we have to know all the criteria about Moshe's prophecy? And if you're going to say the only argument you can say is what? That we need to know it because we need to know after when Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be resurrected. So we need, he's going to come back and we're going to have a prophet like Moshe. So we need to appreciate his prophecy. So then we will see it with our own eyes. Why do we need to know it now? For thousands of years, we have Rambam here for a thousand years already. During the time, why do we need to know this halach? So the Rebbe says, because it's possible. Not only that we should have a prophet, but that we should have a prophet that is similar to Moshe. The, the, the Pasuk actually, it's interesting that I'm talking about prophecy. I just spoke about prophecy as an offshoot of Shoftim Veshotrim. But the truth is that this is a mitzvah this week in the Parsha as well, Parsha Shoftim. It says that the Jewish, God is warning the Jewish people not to go after sorcerers, not to go seek out different people who can do different kinds of you know, hocus-pocus stuff in order to get to, to know, you know, speak to the dead and different, different things. So the Torah says, Moshe says, and so you'll say, well, there's a great benefit to speak to people who know certain things that humans don't know. Why should we lose out on all these cool guys, cool, all these, all these uh, psychics or whatever they are that can tell you the future? Other people can do that and we can't. So Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, don't worry, there will always be a prophet. Hashem says, Navi, Hashem says, I will set you up a prophet and it will be much greater than all these other guys. They, 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 they're, whatever they say is 95% junk. There might be a little something. I'm going to give you pure, pure truth and I'm going to prophet. Through, and but Moshe Rabbeinu says, Navi Akim, I'm going to put up a Navi, make care from your brothers, Kamoini like me. Which means that all prophecy really is really rooted in Moshe's prophecy, like the Ramam actually also describes, that we don't believe a prophet really based on the, on the proof that the prophet proves to us. We accept the prophet because Moshe commanded us to accept the prophet when he has these halachic qualifications and he shows us a sign or two about telling us the future then we have Allah but it's all so therefore all prophecy is really rooted in Moshe's prophecy but it is possible that we're going to have that we can have a prophet that is similar to Moshe so much similar to Moshe and that on the one hand we know that there will never be a prophet like Moshe but only only in one thing knowing God face to face that that, we, that no one can ever match up to Moshe. But in everything else, there could be a prophet equal to Moshe Rabbeinu's prophets. Especially the prophecy that's going to be in the world when Mashiach comes. Especially Mashiach Tzedkenu himself. 
is going to be a prophet. He's going to be an extraordinary prophet. In, in the Rambam in Hilchas Tshuva, in the laws of repentance, Rambam says about Mashiach, he says he's going to be the wisest of all men, wiser than King Solomon, and in prophecy he's going to be very close to Moshe. Navi Gadol, Karav to Moshe. Can't exceed Moshe. In his, in his uh, letter to the Yemenite Jews that I mentioned to you before, hear this. In his letter to the Yemenite Jews, the Rambam speaks about Moshe Rabbeinu. Here. Oh, no, about, about, about. Shamashiach Navi Gadol Ma'od. Moshiach is going to be an incredible prophet. The Godel Mikol Anavim, he will be greater than all the prophets. Mulvad Moshe Rabbeinu, besides Moshe Olavashel. That's what the Ramam says here about Moshiach. In any case, but, but by Moshiach, there's another, there's another kvetch, an amazing kvetch. And that is that we know who is Moshiach. Moshiach is really Moshe Rabbeinu. Because the sages say, Golarishan, the first redeemer, he is the last redeemer. Not Moshe's physical body, because Moshe's physical body is a Levite. He's from Shevet Levi, and Mashiach has to be a king from the tribe of Yehuda. But the spirit of Moshe. So if Moshe's neshama, soul, is going to be imbued in Mashiach's neshama, so the power of prophecy of Moshe Rabbeinu will register in Mashiach. So at a certain end, Mashiach is found amongst the Jewish people before the Geulah. If you follow Rambam about Mashiach, the Rambam's whole take on Mashiach is not that he's a person who falls out of the sky. The Rambam's take about Mashiach is that he's a tzaddik who lives amongst the Jewish people. So says the Chassam Sofer, so says the, um, the Stechemed. And the, he's a tzaddik, the Bartanura, that he's a tzaddik who lives amongst the Jewish people. And actually the Bartanura says that in every generation there is someone who is worthy to be Mashiach who himself doesn't know that he's Mashiach, until the time of the Geulah comes, and God then sends him, and imbues with him, he down, downloads his, into his neshama, all the greatest, greatest, greatest lights, and the greatest spiritual lights, more than any other person ever to have lived. The Rambam goes on to explain, that Mashiach is going to have qualities, even surpassing Moshe, besides prophecy, but in other things, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to exceed Moshe Rabbeinu. Well that's going to happen to a tzaddik, who lives amongst the Jewish people, amongst us. And according to the criteria of the Rambam, Mashiach works with the Jewish people a long time before Mashiach comes. The Rambam says he's a, he's a person, he's a king, he's a, and Yamad Melech, he will be a, get up a king, and he will, he studies Torah like David his father, and like, um, and like, uh, and, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's, and he's Osek in mitzvahs, and he influences the Jewish people, he compels the Jewish people to observance, he fights the wars of God, and then he builds the base of English, and eventually we know that he's, he's, he's the full Mashiach. So Mashiach Tzitkenu himself, before the Geula, before that final redemption, is for sure going to have prophecy. And his prophecy, as we said earlier, is, is pretty much similar to Moshe, and that's why it's a halacha in all generations to know what kind of prophecy Moshe Rabbeinu had. And one of the unique things about Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is that when Moshe, became, when Moshe prophesied, you couldn't really tell it on him. Because you're expecting that if you're going to hear that there's a prophet, so you must be able to see a person who's a tzaddik, and suddenly he falls out of his chair. He starts convulsing, convulsing around the room. He turns blue and pink, and he goes nuts. And say, oh, this is a tzaddik who's now, who's now, 
And if, if we wouldn't take him to God for Yechaz Shalom to a mental institution, and we would trust because we know he's a tzaddik before that, we say, oh, now we have prophecy, everybody, whoosh, look at this. In this and this shul, over there, it would be in all the news reports. We have the big, this person, this Kabbalist that was great. He started, you should have seen what happened. His talus flew off his thing. He started rolling on the floor. Everybody in the shul got so scared. And he mamashed the prophet. Whoa, okay. And then later, well, of course, we have to test to see if what he says is true. How about a tzaddik that is not really doing all that wild stuff and is just speaking regularly, but speaking prophecy? You'll say, it can't be prophecy because Hashem couldn't be speaking to him because if Hashem would be speaking, he has to, he has to fall to the floor. No. That's every, all prophets besides Moshe Rabbeinu and anybody that has a level of prophecy like Moshe Rabbeinu. It doesn't have to do that. Can stand and speak like a regular human being and be communicating to God, with God, without having to see all this, all of his physical features suddenly be suspended. You don't have to see that. So the Rebbe goes on to say, and this is what he says. He says, in order for the Jewish people to acclimate and to come into Mashiach's days, there had to be a return of prophecy actually start. And the Rebbe says it started 250 years ago. To a certain degree, he mentions already the Holy Ari, which is already 400 years ago, which is already the beginning laying the seeds for the already Messianic revelation, teachings of Kabbalah and so forth. But he says primarily the Baal Shem Tov. And he brings it from his grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek. Tzemach Tzedek, the third Chabad Rebbe, has a great halachic authority. Tzemach Tzedek writes about, in Sefer HaChakira, I don't have it in front of me right now, but he writes about the holy Baal Shem Tov and his successor, the Magid of Mezrich. He says about them both that they had, what is a prophet? The prophet can see far, right? He says, they can see literally across the entire world. And he says they were able to see across the entire world, not spiritually, physically. Which means they can physically see and look and see what's happening hundreds of thousands or hundreds or thousands of miles away as if it's happening inside the room. And there's countless stories of that at the Bible. But it says, this is a test. When you see stories here, there, this book, that when you're seeing it from the words of the Tzemach Tzedek, it has a whole different legitimacy. Tzemach Tzedek says that the Baal Shem Tov, like it's, like it's known, he says, they can see. And why? Because to them was revealed the light, Ur Hagon is the initial light that God created. Which That initial light is not even created. It's Hashem's light. And that's with that light you can see from one end of the world to the other end of the world. To them it was revealed. He says it about the first two generations of Hasidic masters, the Baal Shem Tov and the Magid. Then he says, and also the third generation, my great-grand, my grandfather, Reb Shneer Zalman of Yadi, the author of the Tanya, for him as well, we saw clearly that he's a prophet. In what sense, he says? He says that he gave predictions of things that were going to happen, world events. I think what he means is primarily during the war of the, 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 the Napoleon's war with, with the Tsar in Russia. And it was expected during that time that the Tsar would fall and Napoleon would win. And the, the Prashnir Zalman of Liadi was doing spiritually and whatever he can to fight off Napoleon. He did not think it was good for the Jewish people spiritually. And, and he told the Hasidim that Napoleon would have a great defeat. And it was against 
all the predictions of all the military experts. And Napoleon was, was being victorious one after, and the Rebbe gave, and he spoke exactly when it would happen. He said by that and that time, he would be pushed back, and so on and so forth. And the Tzemach Tzedek says, we heard from my grandfather, Asidais, future, telling the future, Koileya Elasa'ara. In other words, he, he, he was so perfect down to the here. When whatever he said was exactly true, as he said. That's a prophet, he says. Again, the Tzemach Tzedek doesn't say that he's a prophet, his grandfather. Tzemach Tzedek says, we heard from them. And the Rebbe says, that means that the, Tzem- that, that, that the, the Alter Rebbe was a prophet. And the Rebbe proves it from something else. The Alter Rebbe in Tanya sends, in the back of Tanya there is a letter, in Egeres HaKodesh. And in that letter he complains to the Hasidim how come they are coming and they're bothering him with their physical material issues, material problems. He says, I'm a mentor. I'm a spiritual mentor. If you're coming to me because you want to figure out a way how to beat your Yetzirah, I'm very happy to talk to you. If you're coming to me because you want to um, uh, you know, pour out your heart because you're struggling with something or you want to know how to dive in, or you want to know how to learn, you want to, I, I'm very happy. But, you, but people are coming to me to ask me for material things and I should get, tell them things in their businesses of how, what they, where they should invest their money and so on. What am I, a prophet? That's what the Alter Rebbe says. What am I, a prophet? He says, these are things, you, these are things, such questions you don't ask rabbis. You ask them to prophets. And therefore, I'm asking everybody, stop coming. That, that's exactly, the Alter Rebbe sends a letter and it's printed in the back of the Tanya. Please stop coming to me. I can't help you because these things are only for prophets. That's the general gist of the letter. But the Rebbe says, guess what? He didn't hang up a sign on his door. You know, it's over. Hasidim continued coming, and the Rebbe continued advising them. And not only him, but when his son became Rebbe, it const- and this became the Hasidic custom. You go to the Rebbe and you ask him all the things you need to know. Should we operate or we shouldn't operate? Should we do the Shidduch or we shouldn't do the Shidduch? So all, the situ- all matters in- regarding... Uh, of physical, material things. And the Rebbe says, the Rebbe would answer. Why would he answer? If he said only a prophet can answer, how is he contradicting? God forbid he would be, he would be dishonest. If he himself says only a prophet can answer that, so why is he continue to answer? So he tried to be humble and tried to like kind of wiggle his way out of this whole prophecy business. But it didn't work. <laughs> Hasidim insisted that the Rebbe is a prophet, that's why they continued coming. And the fact that he continued allowing them to come is because he accepted the role as a prophet. And the Rebbe says, so it continued throughout all the generations. And he says it reached its, and including his father-in-law, and the Rebbe goes on to say that it applies to himself. Now the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe, is generally, obviously never spoke about himself. He's always, everything he always speaks about is about his father-in-law. I, I think this sikha, this talk is so mind-blowing. And for some reason, um, because it's so earth-shattering and it's so outside of the box and so unused to what Jews have been hearing for thousands of years in exile, that the Chabad world has shied away from this and hasn't kind of spoken of this. But I think that for Mashiach to come, this needs to be publicized. The Rebbe asked on that Shabbos, the Rebbe said, and again, when I say the Rebbe said, and I mentioned this in my talk that I gave a few weeks ago on Sunday called the Lubavitcher Rebbe un, uh, um, Uncensored. Um, 
I mentioned over there, and I kept on repeating this again and again, this was said publicly. Not only was it said publicly, but it was published. And when it was published, it's actually printed in, 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 in not in Lakutei Sichas, but in Sefer HaSichas. That means it has the full, the full rights, the Rebbe, and the Rebbe edited it. Not only that, it was published then in newspapers. That means that the Rebbe felt that this is public knowledge, that this should be spoken to the whole world. He wasn't hiding this. And therefore, this is something that needs to be said. And because it's so ginormous, because it's such a wild idea, and some people think that if they will say something like this, people will say, what are you, crazy, you're nuts, you're a fanatic. Okay, if God is fanaticism, if Mashiach is fanaticism, if the Jewish people, if, if Mashiach has to come and the world has to change, what do you want to sit in this rotten gullus forever? Well, let's push away all fanaticism. That means, that means you can never, there will never be a Mashiach, for sure, and there will never be people that will follow someone. What are you expecting? What are you expecting? People are expecting what? What are you expecting? The heavens suddenly turn green and purple and everything will turn over. So everybody with the Mashiach is here. Let me read it. It's so childish. There is a halacha. So, so obviously this transitioning from Golos to Giyula is going to involve a certain amount of study and a certain amount of realization, a certain amount of teaching. And the Rebbe gave instructions of what needs to be taught. And one of the things he said at that talk was that in our days... We merited, these are the words of the Rebbe, he said, we merited that the Abishter selected and Hashem has chosen a human being to be the prophet of the generation. And he's actually talking, he's talking about himself. And that we need to publicize it. People should know that there is a prophet. And, and, and he's, he says he's these words, he says he's the, he's the, he's the, he's the yoyet, he's the uh, shoyfet of the generation, the judge of the generation, the yoyet, the counselor of the generation, and the Navi of the generation. Powerful stuff. And including in his prophet, and he says, he goes on, it's a long discussion over there, but he goes on to explain, because as we have seen that his blessings have been fulfilled, most of it he talks about his father-in-law. But then he says, and it continued through his students, referring to himself clearly, very few times that he talks about a continuation after his father-in-law, which is himself. And it continued. And he says, you're now going to test him. You're not allowed to test him anymore because once his prophecies were fulfilled. Now, if anybody knows, followed the life of the Rebbe and, and heard the guidance that he gave to the Jewish people and the accuracy of everything that he said, for instance, regarding the land of Israel and so on and so forth, which in Israel, they, in the government of Israel, didn't want to listen and tried to do other things other than the Rebbe instructed. And the worst catastrophes came upon when they, when they, when they signed the Oslo Accords, or they did Camp, Camp David, or different, different things. These were things that led to very, very, very negative things. But in addition to that, there were literally stories before the Yom Kippur War, the Rebbe, when no one knew of anything, the Rebbe was the first one warning the Jewish people it's a dangerous time. He asked them they should take children and go to the Kosal Hamaravi and to all the holy places, to Kever Rachel. To, they should gather children, the Rebbe, a half a year before that, I think in the summer, a few months before, was sturming again and again, take children, and no one knew what he's talking about. He said, in order to stop the enemy, to stop the enemy, to stop Lahajbis, always the Masnakim, when the rest of the Jews was clueless. And then once Yom Kippur War broke out, then, then, then people knew. Before the Six Day War, when everybody. And Israel was terrified when people were escaping Eretz Yisrael by the masses. 
People were running away. All American yeshiva boys left. Who would stay there? Which parent would keep their child in a land which, God forbid, your kid might be killed? You had massive um, 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 uh, um, uh, gatherings of Arab armies from all the different countries. Israel was tiny, small, there was no chance. They were preparing so many body bags. Sadiq and great rabbis ran away from Israel. Were scared. A few, we, a few days, the Rebbe then didn't let. He told the, all the Chabad boys, whoever would listen to him, stay. It means he's taking responsibility for people's lives. That's huge. You can't say that. If you're a half-decent person, you can't say that. God forbid, what happens if chas if, v'shalom? And then, and then take that a step further. And then a few days before, a week before, I don't know exactly, the, the war, the Six-Day War broke out, which day I'm not exactly sure, but the 18th of Iyar was Lag Baomer. A few days before, the, the Six-Day War broke out a few days later. You can watch a video. The Rebbe is standing in front of 770. There's a parade. Children's parade, like there used to be children's parades on Lag Baomer. And the Rebbe is standing by a microphone and talking to the entire world and literally saying prophecy. He's standing over there and he's saying that the Jewish people are going to now experience a Yeshua, a salvation, a miraculous deliverance of an incredible, of unprecedented, the Rebbe said incredible things are going to happen. Just stand and watch the unbelievable man. The same, almost similar to Moshe Rabbeinu talking by Yamsuf, saying, When everybody's, again, Egypt was closing in, Moshe tells, why? Because God spoke to him. So he knows. So the Rebbe stands there and he says to the Jewish people, don't be afraid, a big Yeshua. And he knows it's being recorded, it's being broadcasted. You can see it, you can watch it. He's putting his, 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 his name on, on, on the line. He's risking the lives of so many people as well. It's clearly prophecy. So if it happened once, twice, three times, and a bunch, and during, and everybody knows during the Gulf War, the same thing when they were giving masks out because they were so sure that there would be Jews in Israel would be gassed by by Saddam Hussein. Nothing, exactly like the when, and then, and then later after the Rebbe had a stroke already, Mamash, the same time of the year, there was a huge hurricane coming directly at Miami, and that was already after the Rebbe's stroke, and they asked the Rebbe if they should evacuate. And they, again and again, they asked him, and the Rebbe kept on saying, no, no, no. And it was basically coming as a direct hit to Miami. And right in the end, it moved. And those who evacuated and, evacuated and went elsewhere were hit by it. Those who stayed, I mean, certain places, those who stayed in Miami, nothing happened. Obviously, you see, you know, someone who knows the future. And in the, and, and in the, in the, and, and in the talk, the Rebbe says, you have to listen to the Navi, not because, he, these words, when he's talking about himself, he says it's not because these are the word; these are his words, but because these are the words of Hashem that Hashem is speaking to him, and it's not even that he said it to a different navi; he said it to him. It's unbelievable. The Jewish people need to know this. Why? You'll say, "Well, that too is the past. It happened." Okay, the Rebbe is already not here for. Physically, in a way that we can see him for 28, 25 years. So what's, what's Nogeya? Well, the Rebbe says there that one of his, his, his ultimate prophecy is that he prophesies that the Geula is upon us, that the redemption is upon us. And he says over there clearly that he's saying this not as a chacham, not as a wise person, 
But he's saying this as a prophet, as a prophecy. So we need to know that this is the time, this is the era of the Giyula. Now, he didn't give a date, that not. And for me, it's taking too long. I think for you, it's also taking long, too long, for all of us taking long. But one thing is for sure. From when the Rebbe said that we have to look at all the world events that have been happening as part of the unfolding of the Giyula. That's part of the, the inspiration and the, the, the um, underlying um, conviction, I should say, not inspiration, but conviction that I have in this that I interpret, try to interpret all the, uh, all the politics and all the events that are going on in the world all as a, a, a messianic um, uh, part of the Messiah, of Mashiach process is because we have a prophecy. The Nevuah came already. Now you'll say, but it's 25 years, that's long. It's already 28, I think since, the, since this prophecy was said, it's already 27 or 28 years. That's a long time. Well, prophecies do take sometimes a little bit of time. You know, when Hashem told Avram Avinu, you're going to have a child, He didn't tell him, it's going to happen in 25 years from now. Avram was 75 years old then. When did Avram have his first child? First story in the Torah. When did Avram have his child? When he was 100 years old. And until then, everybody made fun of him. They thought he's wacky. He picked himself up. He left his homeland. He went to Israel. And, and, and everybody left. A childless couple. You're going to have a baby. And yet it happened. 25 years later it happened. A prophet doesn't go wrong. So we need to know this. We need to know this with absolute certainty. We have to be very excited that the Eberster has given us, and, and I do want to say that it's becoming more and more and more obvious to Jews all over the world that as much that the Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, is someone who not only was a magnificent tzaddik back then and has created this unbelievable movement of tshuva and what and 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 has inspired the entire and in a sense saved the the generation from assimilation, and continues to influence in an unprecedented way. But there's something else to it, and that is that people turn to the Rebbe today for guidance all across the world. And and of course, those who want to be cynical and those who want to laugh, I'm not impressed with them. I'm not impressed with them. If I would care about laughers, I wouldn't be. I, w- I wouldn't be saying this over here. Couldn't kill us, you know. Why I couldn't kill us because, you know, when the when the when the when the Navi tells a story about about the prophet saying that tomorrow wheat the the wheat the, the Navi tells a story like that the wheat will be will be you'll be able to buy a huge amount of wheat for for, for bupkis. There was a famine in the land, and the person laughed. The guy laughed, stood over there, and he laughed. And he said, even if God was to open up the treasures of the sky, that will not happen. He laughed. Lachen. Okay, he laughed. And what happened? The next day, the people ran, the, the army ran away, they went outside. He was standing over there, and, and, and the Navi said to him, you will be there, but you won't see it. That's what he said to him. And sadly, you know, he was trampled. He saw it, because they had so much wheat, because the, the army ran away, and they had all their food. But he was trampled because he laughed. So, chas v'shalom. The laughers are going to be okay. Hashem is going to protect them. Because the days, we're living in the day that every Jew is going to be elevated. But I'm not, you know, okay, laughers. There's always been laughers. The pelishtim are called pelishtim because they were, they were late sonim. They laughed. Go through history. There was always the laughers. Okay. 
the but what I what I what I do feel is important for people to know is that there is today I feel an urim vitumim. Urim vitumim means a breastplate of the Kohen Gadol that gives answers directly from God. That there is today's days an urim vitumim you can ask. In addition to thousands of people going to the OL asking for brachas and stuff like that, there is. It has become a custom by thousands of Jews to ask questions when they're in a dilemma, don't know what to do, and they turn and they write a letter into the Rebbe, as like when the Rebbe was physically here and sent the letter, and they, they'll either fax it in to the OL or they'll fax it to 770, and then they'll put it into one of the volumes of the books. There's 30 volumes of Rebbe's books. I do it. Some people are hesitant. I do it. Why do I do it? Because I myself were in many, many situations in my personal life when I had no clue what to do and what and what we were and when. And I asked and I got amazing answers. I don't say I got every time, but I got stunning answers. You have to be an expert and ex- I don't know what the word would you have to be this unbelievable apicorus to be able to see the things that I've seen and still be a non-believer. I mean, it's impossible. It's like incredible. Think this, it's not real. It can't be. I can sit, I can give an entire class for three hours and tell stories that will make your hearing your head go up. How in the world did I get such answers? And it's not just me. I think any person that is turning sincerely with a question and uh, get answers. And, Yidin, and the Rebbe then in that talk is saying that we have to publicize this to the world. The answers are there and, uh, and available. You can get an answer. Obviously, it's done with sincerity. Uh, whatever preparation, ask your mashpia what kind of preparation you should do. But this is happening. Not only to Chabad Hasidim, people from across all walks of life are, are experiencing uh, this kind of a communication. So if, if, this, if the Eberster gave for our generation something so powerful, something so strong, it needs to be known, it needs to be, and people should, should have the opportunity. So share it. Share this with others. And Be'ezer uh, Hashem, from the beginning of the return of the Shoftim V'Shotrim that we have now, we should experience the complete return of the Shoftim V'Shotrim uh, with, in the full based in and the, all the, the prophets and Mashiach Tzadkenu, the coming of Mashiach, may it be now, now, and now.